0: This message is brought to you by this excellent church. We excel at reshaping people's values and reconciling men to God. You're about to hear peace and preach. Be blessed. Hallelujah! Praise God! So, first uh, Thessalonians chapter four. We are continuing today. This is the fifth part. Am I correct? This is the fifth part, but we're on the fourth chapter. So, First Thessalonians chapter four. Hallelujah! Praise God. All right. So, we said the whole lot. There's no point to recapping. There's no point, If you have not been listening, get the previous messages. Hallelujah. So, we'll just go right into it. Chapter four, and it's interesting. First Thessalonians is one of those books that the most interesting parts are the later parts. Hallelujah. First Thessalonians. This is where it gets really interesting. You know, the previous parts are very serious. This way now it now gets, uh, you know, very interesting. Hallelujah. All you eschatological people, we're getting to your time now. Amen. So what's going to happen is that next Wednesday, when we are doing chapter 5, we're going to do chapter 5 together with a teaching on small eschatology, just small. Preliminary surface stuff. Hallelujah. So that's what we'll do next week. We'll do chapter 5 and we'll do the story together. So we'll just look at it. we we'll just do what we can all agree on from the Bible do you understand we will not go too much into some details that we can you know disagree about and all that we'll just do surface stuff that everybody can agree on hallelujah praise God all right so let's do chapter four today from verse one as for other matters brothers and sisters we instructed you to live in order to please God as in fact you are living now we ask you and urge you in the Lord, jesus to do this more and more hallelujah we urge you in the lord jesus to do this more and more for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the lord jesus so he says he begins to tell them that see we expect you guys to live a a godly life a life that is in keeping with the kind of life that you have been called there's something called the christian life and there's a kind of life that matches the christian life right and we expect you to live according to that life. According to as, as we, you know, commanded you. say based on our authority, based on the authority, uh, based on the instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. So he says what we are telling you is not just we talking to you. It is we are speaking from the authority of the calling that we have, which Jesus has given us. Praise God. Everything we are saying, we are saying by the authority of Jesus. You know, there's a way that sometimes a pastor can want to use such statements to um, harass people or to manipulate people, where you say, what I'm saying is God that is saying it. Do you understand that? It is not every time a man says that that is wrong. That's the truth. It is not every time that a minister says what I'm saying is God that is saying it. I'm speaking on the authority of Jesus. And what I'm saying, if you disobey it, you are disobeying Jesus. you see. When is that man, when is a minister correct to say that? A minister is correct to say that when he's actually saying what Jesus said. Do you understand that? Do you get that? When a minister is actually saying what Jesus has said, he's correct to say that what you are saying, to disobey it, is to disobey Jesus. That's the truth. When a man says... if you don't show this money into my life god is not going to bless you and for you to disobey you are disobeying jesus because i am your pastor you can see that his authority is no more on god's word he has now shifted and he's now making his authority to be based purely on his position in the local church do you understand that that is where manipulation comes in when a man's authority is not based on god's word and his authority is based on something else. He's appealing to something else. Uh, things like, um, you know, um, I'm your pastor and I've suffered for you people. Do you understand? And to disobey me is to disobey God. Do you understand that? The authority by which a man can say that if you disobey me, you have disobeyed God is when the man is actually saying what Jesus said. Hallelujah. Let's go on. you see more of that. Verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified and that you should avoid sexual immorality. It is God's will that you be sanctified and that you avoid sexual immorality. There's something I wanted to say. so I was something. let me read on, you see. That each of you should learn to control your body in a way that is holy and honorable and not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. Ah, so there's something very interesting I was going to say here. Hmm? I'm still going to, it's in my draft. <laughs> it says like, pagans who do not know God. Let me tell you one very interesting thing that you have discovered if you look at the history of the world from the old to the new, Christianity and all that. There's something you have found out. There's something about Yahweh, Jehovah, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ and Jesus that is problematic for Sexual freedom. And that is why people, a society, or a people that are preoccupied with sex, sex, will notice that their hearts are somehow oriented against God, Yahweh in particular. Do you understand that? Yes, Yahweh in particular, Yahweh in particular, Jesus in particular. If you are a person or you are a society that is preoccupied with sex... One of the things you will find out is that somehow your mind and your heart are oriented away from God. You will just notice that you and God don't jail. You will just notice that you and God don't jail. You will notice that places where people insist on sexual liberty, they usually have and prefer two kinds of God systems. They prefer things like progressive Christianity. Deism, pantheism. That is all those systems of religion where everybody is God and God is everything. And where there is a kind of, um, you know, God is everything. So when we hear people saying things like, um, I thank the universe. I thank the universe. I worship the universe. The universe is making everything to fall in line for me. Is in How I Met Your Mother, I he hear those kind of things. Do you know why? Because guys want to be having sex anyhow. The universe will not tell you to stop having sex. But God will not agree for you. Do you understand that? It's either that or you'll notice that they're pagans. Paganism, certain kinds of paganism. So this is, this, is, this, is, this is the thing. There are some religious systems that um, don't tell you what to do. People like those kind of religious systems. That's why there are so many Buddhists and you know, Hindus and not, not necessarily Hindus, yeah. Hindus are in the second categories. You have, a, 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 you have certain kind of religions like Buddhism, um, pantheism, deism, where God is everything and God is everybody, like Avatar. you guys watched the Avatar movie? God is everything and God is in everybody. And so let's just believe in our lives that you are God and God. That's what progressive Christianity is saying now. That all of us are God, God is inside you, Kineko, Kiniko, Jesus is not the way, is everybody's the way, and all those kinds of things. Right? Because that God does not really tell you what to do. The second system of religion that people like, which is the, the best, which people prefer to the one I just said now, which is the number one, is the religion where the gods support what you want to do. You know the first one, they don't tell you what to do. The best ones are the ones where the gods tell you they support what you want to do. Right? So, I mean, when you have like pagan religions, the cult of Dionysius and all those different, different gods, where they'll tell you that sex, having sex is even the worship. The Gnostics, the old Gnostics of the 1st, 2nd, 3rd century that were trying to form Christianity, that people like Irenaeus and the early church fathers had to write and, you know, write and do apologetics against them. All those religions where the thing you want to do, the God actually likes doing it too. So you and the God, you are together. Right? I don't want to mention names, but the God that say, you know what, as a guy, go out and fight and kill people. You keep people very well for us. Take all their property. You are doing it so you can go to heaven. Hallelujah. Praise God. You guys have not gotten yet. You know, the God i will say, as a guy, you can marry four wives. Four. Do anyhow? It's okay. You are all right. Me, the prophet, the leader, I will marry six. One nine-year-old, one older than me. So that I can be an example to you that a man can marry any kind of woman. But you, four is okay. Hallelujah. Praise God. You guys don't get it yet. Let me tell you another one. You see, when you go and fight and fight for God and you kill people, the women that you capture, that your right hand has taken, they are your property. They are not really your wife and you can do with them whatever you want. Hallelujah. Praise God. This is what God says. You know, that one, it makes sense past even the dizzy one. When you and God are guys and you and God are doing whatever you like. I say, you know, just do certain rituals so, so, so number of times a day and you're okay. You know, you're okay. Just say, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much you are bad. What matters is we'll measure everything you did, the good versus the bad. If the good outweighs the bad by 0.01, you are good. You have made it to heaven. So if you are smart, you can just track it well. And if you feel like you are overdoing the bad thing, There are some things that you can do that will weigh on the the good side. That will just scale on the good side and overweigh the bad things you have done. You don't know what those things are? Let me tell you. Go to pilgrimage every year. Hallelujah. That one. You know, it can be done anyhow on this side. It's packing. It's piling up. It's piling up. Just go to pilgrimage every year. Three. You don't match. You know, as you're going to pilgrimage, if you're still doing a lot of bad things, bad things win. and it's still weighing, another one you can do in the month of fasting, just make sure you fast well. What you do after the month of fasting is your business. But that month, just fast well. It's what? We hallelujah. So the systems like that, that God does not tell you what to do, or the one that you and God are guys, and God is allowing you to do what you want to do, they are the ones that will notice that people will have a lot of, they will have a lot of followers, they will have it, is naturally enticing. Meanwhile, in the West, the major reason, you know, there are studies about this thing. The major reason why so-called Christendom and Christian nations, a lot of their young people, they will do atheists while they're in school, while they're in university. And then when they're getting old, they start finding God back. The reason is simple. When they are young, God does not allow them to have sex the way they want. There's this apologist that is always saying this, and they always abusing, they they always angry for He said, you now, I'm saying the truth. He said he has noticed that for young people. Their problem with God is that God will not allow them to do what they want to do. Say there's no God. Why? Because the Bible is talking about a flood that covered the whole world. How is that possible? Because there are kangaroos in... hallelujah. Guy, you want to do Sheno? When you are ready, come. We will explain to you what really happened. Say, how can there be a flood? How can the whole world aside from two people, when we have sculptures of uh, animals that evolved to human beings, how will you not be doing like Sabinus, okay? When you are finished, come. We will explain what is happening to you. So Apostle Paul now said something. He said you guys should not behave like pagans. He said, behave like children of God because it's pagans that like to give themselves over to sexual immorality. And that's one thing about Christianity everywhere. Wherever Christianity lands and it is practiced properly, one of the first things that happens in the behavior of the people there is that their sexual proclivities drops. So, preoccupation with sex and Christian conduct and the Christian life and the gospel of Christ actually have a kind of inverse relationship to each other. Do you understand that? You don't understand? Yes. Whenever a society becomes preoccupied with sex, it's a sign that the gospel is dying in that society. It's true because it's very, I've not worked it out fully and I don't understand why, but it has to do with the fact that of all the bodily pleasures, sex is kind of unique and human beings are given to want to maximize pleasure. But as far as God is concerned, it's a gift that ought to be held that ought to be held with a certain kind of dignity and a certain kind of reserve. It is, a, it is an act and it's an experience that is meant to be, you know, enjoyed within certain confines, to give it the dignity and the sanctity that it deserves. If God insists on that and people generally don't want that, they will always have issues. So that's why, even from the old, I just want to get into it. From the old down to the new, one of the things that you see consistently, consistently, is that whenever Jesus, God, Yahweh, God our Father, Jehovah, whenever he shows up, hmm, one of the things that happens is that all this sexual misbehavior starts to die. And when people want to rebel, it always has to do with sex. Go and read the book of Exodus and Numbers. The first time before, um, when, Paul, when the Moses went on the mountains to go and get this thing, and Aaron um, said, and the people told him that Aaron has, is taking too long and all, that they built a calf. You know what they did? After they did that, they started having, they built the calf and they started doing party, And the next thing, they started doing all, all kinds of sex and debauchery. That was the first time that he had, Lance, um, what do you call it? Um, Large scale judgments, where a lot of people were slaughtered in judgments. The second time was when the Moabites invite, invited the guys that they should come for their own Elia. And in the Elia of the Moabites, you have sex in honor of the gods of the Moabites. So that's one of them carried themselves to go and have sex there and they came back. And then they knew what they had done, that they have gone to go and worship under idols, having sex. If you read the historical context, it's funny. In the open, like this, like Oji in the open, under a god, they will not be having sex. One of them was now, not, was now foolish enough. You guys know the story now. The girl that he met in the idolatry party, now Tukar, he was now walking through the camp and went into his room. The Bible says that he passed the front of the assembly and did not send anybody's father. He said nothing. And he was walking through the <laughs> What's the name of his son of uh, uh, Aaron? And these guys are grieving that God is angry with us. The Bible says that, uh, what's his name? Is he Abimelech? What's his name? Iliaz. eh? Ili- no, not Eliezer. The one that carried the spear. The Bible says that he carried the spear and he followed them into that tent. Where they, as He said, after he walked, he now went into the tent and was still having sex with the girl there in the sound of everybody. And all of us are crying that we have disobeyed God. The Bible carried javelin. You eh? heard me both of them. What do you have say? The Bible says that he took both of them to the ground. When they were doing those were the two major rebellions that he had, and those two major rebellions had with sex had to do with sex. Guess what? When they entered Canaan, the same thing. Whenever you see major rebellion and there was massive judgment, the same thing. A woman goes to go and look for uh, someone in a town, and all the men did a ripper. You no, know they did. All the men did, they went to go and judge them. Look now to the time of David and the, you know um, the temple period. Every time Ahab, Jezebel, it's the same thing. Courts of sex. Temples of sex, um, temple prostitutes, Jezebel, people doing stuff like that. That's what Baal, whenever a Baal shows up, the first thing you will come with is you people can be having sex. So it is no wonder that you look at the society where it seems like as if Christianity is on the decline, so to speak. What you see is that all kinds of sexual perversions will also be on the rise. Church, do you understand that. Because when Satan wants to lead people away from God, he makes them preoccupied with things of sex. He makes them preoccupied with things of sex. And don't forget what we will say. Volition precedes what? Intellection. Because volition precedes intellection and your mind is already oriented towards maximizing sexual pleasure, when God comes and is knocking on the door and is asking you to dedicate your life to him, to walk in prison to him, your corrupted will will insist that you intellectualize and you rationalize everything that he's calling you to do in a way that does not make sense. Do you understand that? That's why our fathers will tell you when a person wants to start backsliding, those days, marital films, one the first thing to come out. When a person is about to backslide, what's the first thing that happens? He gets girlfriend. Have you not noticed? Those things were anecdotal evidence of something they were seeing. When someone wants to backslide, his girlfriend. And guess what? We also saw it when we were in school. I have a friend, a very good friend like that. You know, <laughs> ah, God. The person will not know. You will not listen. Maybe you will listen later. And he should just catch up. Well, You know, when we were entering school, all of us were serious with God and all that, you know, serving God level, all of us were in the and all that. Then he entered 200 level, 300 level, and then he tasted the forbidden fruit. Say, ah, this is sweet like this. That I just entered bush. Say, I come to church. I say, no, 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 no. Even God save this God matter. I didn't even understand. Psst, what is God, you know? And then you say, ah, don't do, don't. They say, free all this God matter. No, we can't argue. Not everybody. We don't even know who's serving who. We don't even know who's really going to heaven. And all those kind of foolish things that we used to console themselves. Isha lost. Now he's an elderly person. And the as you, I mean, you know when you get to your 30s, you start becoming an elderly person. The young days of you want to everybody, you know, it begins to come down and then you have responsibilities. Now it has come down. You don't they come church back. Now you know you begin to, let me not talk too much before you stand with the person. Your body will start doing what? Coming down. It's the same thing over and over and over. So, really and truly. Now this is something interesting. Look at something now. He now says, and that in this matter, no, in essence, something. Each one of you should learn to control your own body. That is actually the secret. Now, to be honest, hmm? and this, this applies to, this touches on matters of um, things that can lead people into sexual sin and all that. Listen to me. The truth is that the answer to not fall into sexual sin is to learn to control your own body. Now, that does not mean that there are no structures that you can put in place to help to reduce the temptation. Do you understand that? We can do things and we can put structures in place to help to reduce the temptations. However, at the end of the day, the major component of the thing that would preserve you from sexual immorality is to learn to control your own body. It's to learn to control your own body. You have to learn to control your own body. And we have to learn to create structures that will not put unnecessary temptations where they should not be. Personally, I'm of the opinion that you guys have heard me say it many times. Right? God helping us, if we have plenty of money, one of the things that we'll do is that we need to redefine the way the West has affected our society. And one of the reasons why the burden of um, sexual inappropriateness and all that has, is increasing more in every generation has to do with the way our lifestyles have changed. In the sense that people are getting married much older. People are getting married much older and it should not be. It should not be. Normally, the way humanity has been for the vast majority of the time, like 70, 80 years ago, for the vast majority of time, people are meant to get married in their early 20s. So what's happening is that with the change of society by Western culture and all that, people are being infantile, for longer, because people are having to go through school, so to speak, before they can consider themselves mature. And because they themselves have not considered themselves mature, they continue to think like babies for long. You're not meant to be thinking like a baby in your 30s if you read the Bible. People like David when they're 20s, when they were already running, trying to run the kingdom. Joseph was in his 30s when he became prime minister of Egypt. Just to give you, specific if you ask your own fathers and your own great grandfathers, they used to get married in their 20s. But this one that everybody is now getting married in their 30s, 35, Now, you become sexually aware when you're like 14, 15. You will now have to be celibate. You will now have to be celibate for like 20 years before you get married. That is an unnecessary long period of temptation for a person. Do you understand that? It's unnecessarily long. At the end of the day, don't forget what I started. where I started from, the secret is to learn how to control your body. So even if you are 30 years, it's in celibacy. You control yourself. Father is a human being, are they not? Sisters, are they not human beings? <laughs> they are human beings. So at the end of the day, the secret is still to learn how to control your body and all that. But see, there are some things that we need to do to not put unnecessary pressure on people. Me, I'm a big advocate of people should marry early. People should get mature earlier. We need to stop infantilizing people. Stop making a 20-year-old man feel like he's still a baby that should be sucking breasts. Don't tell a 20-year-old woman that she's still a baby and uh, you're still in university so you're still a baby. You're not a baby. You're not. You're not. All the people that destroyed Nigeria today, go and check. All of them when they're 30s, when they ran Nigeria and they're still there till now. Talk to these children. You see, my four-year-old daughter is already having conversations. By by the time, you know, like a what Sammy said, he said, if you talk with teenagers, that's when you will know that you don't even need to dumb down the gospel for them. I remember when I was a teenager. I remember the things I knew, and there was nothing I did not know. The only thing, the only difference between the cognitive capacity of someone in their teenage years and an older person is experience. Do you understand that? But the cognitive ability to understand what is being said is already sufficient, even as a person a teenager. So I don't think we should put people under the burden of celibacy for so long. It's unhealthy and it's not good. Do you understand that? You know, there are some other structures that we need to put in place. The kind of TV movies that we watch that will, like we we did on our series on sanctification, that will magnify those faculties for sexual taste inside of you. Things that will awaken the desire. You know, that's why Solomon and his babe, when they were toasting themselves, they, they kept saying that thing over and over. They said like four or five times in that book, You see, don't turn me on. <laughs> that's what they were saying essentially. Don't what? Don't turn me on. Don't awaken desire when it is not yet time for it to be fulfilled. Don't turn me on. Why are you turning yourself on? You have to be deliberate. You know yourself. You don't watch movies that you know were waking something. That once you watch it, you know for the next three days it will it, you. That's what you will be thinking. It's an unnecessary pressure that you don't need. Do you understand that? Those that are already in relationships and want to keep themselves pure as they ought to, because you have not sealed it in the bond of commitments, right? You keep you create structures to prevent you from doing what you know you should not do. Structures. Structures. That's why it seemed like as if the other days they were better, even though they were not really better, because in terms of behavior, they were as bad as us. The difference between us and our parents was structures. In those days, you cannot go and visit a babe, even if you guys are going to marry tomorrow. There will be a small girl like 30 in between both of you when you are talking. Even if the adults are busy and they cannot chaperone you too, they will tell 30 to come and sit down, like if uh, you know now, Pastor, if I should come and see Pastor Cheyenne now. We will send 30 to sit down in between them when they are talking. So anything they want to say, they should say it in front of the. Yeah. If when it's seen out, she's supposed to what? Follow them. And if anything happens, she will come and say, Hey, daddy, come and see what <laughs> she Praise God. But that's how it was. Do you understand? You don't go to someone to go and visit your fiance without anybody being there. You don't. Hallelujah. So that's the kind of structures that you do. If you are alone, you will do something. So how do you solve the problem? You don't stay alone. It's that simple. Create structures to reduce the body. But at the end of the day, the key is still to learn how to control your body. And what that means is that you have to let certain principles from God's word word, to permeate your heart so much that you hold them supreme in your mind, irrespective of the state of your um, emotions. Hmm. Let me tell you something about temptation. Like my wife always says, Conjin a bastard. Yes, she says it a lot. She always says it. Do you know why? There are some times when temptation will come, that it will just corrupt your volition. You cannot think again. You guys understand what I'm saying. Stop looking at me as if you don't understand what I'm saying. I know you understand what I'm saying. There are some times when the temptation comes, it has corrupted your volition. You cannot even think straight. All those remembering that, these things, you can't even remember. At that point, it just feels good. It just feels right. (laughs) That's all. (laughs) Praise God. (laughs) Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm saying it because I also can understand how you are going through. I've been single before. Praise God. And so, just like Jesus, I'm not a high priest that is not touched by your (laughs) infirmities. I've been there and I understand how it is. You can't think straight again. See, the solution is that you have to, there's a way Joyce Meyer says it. That's one thing I learned from her, listening to her back in the day. Joyce Meyer will say something, that you have to prepare for temptation. And the way you prepare for it is that you have already held God's word supreme in your mind, irrespective of your mood. So, there's a way you can get yourself to the point where you believe in something irrespective of how you're feeling, so that even when the temptation comes, that thing that you believe is what is at the top of your mind. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is at the top of your mind. You let it sink into your mind that holding my body in sanctity is the will of God. Look at the Apostle Paul said it. He said it is the will of God that you, you conduct yourself. So sexual purity is the will of God. Forget all this rubbish nonsense that they are saying eh, purity culture has caused problems. Get You Get out. Purity culture has caused problem. Purity culture has caused problem, but divorce rates are higher than ever. Children are being depressed more than ever. More homes are broken. I beg you, don't get out. Let me see road. Purity culture has caused problem. Purity culture has caused problem. Let us hear what. Do you understand that? You know, you have to hold it supreme in your mind that this thing is not right. It now, I'm not saying that this purity culture of making sex look like a demonic thing, such that even after people have gotten married, they can't get is a good. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying something. Like someone else to say, all extremes are not equal. Some extremes are better than the others. Say you know. Between extreme prayer and study of God's word and extreme not praying and studying God's word, which one is better? It's not better for you to stay in the house and be studying God's word and not doing any other thing. <laughs> and, and to say my own extreme is that I want to be doing my kosa up and down and be living in the world. Do you understand what I'm saying? All extremes are not equal. You say extreme. Uh, materialism or extreme uh, contentment—that we are going to uh, extreme contentment is better. You understand? All extremes are not worth equal. So if if we say human beings must choose one between purity culture that demonizes sex and the culture that they are doing now, when someone say have seventy-two genders like them, um, like, uh, like the possessed man in, Gad- in Gadarin right? Between that one, which one is better? He says, because of ah, the sexy culture, so because of that, women having virgin. But, but, see, let's marry. We'll pray about it. Elders will teach us. We'll find our way around it. It's not sex, can it be hard like that? We'll find a way. It's better to hold yourself in purity than, you know, the other way. Because that other one, you will be serving God with it. This other one, once you give yourself to it, you just notice that you and God are not friends again. Do you understand that? that's one thing you will notice, you will just notice that the moment you start going to club and you start checking girls out and girls are coming to you and you are kissing somebody that is not your babe and your girlfriend and you are, you, know, you are just doing all those jobs, you just notice that you are not praying, you will notice you are not reading God's word, that's what you will notice you just notice that somehow you and God are fighting and it is not because anybody is doing you, it's because your heart is gradually being oriented away from God So travel together Praise God. So he says, and that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. It's particularly bad when people take advantage of brothers or sisters in the church. Based on where our church, you know, you now take advantage of people sexually in the church. The Bible, look how our says. It says, The Lord will punish all those who commit such things as we told you and warned you before don't do post-modernism and reinterpret what paul has said here what paul has said here is hard to misinterpret any one of you that takes advantage of a brother or sister that you are living in sexual impurity what did he say god will punish you i say we have warned you before and we are telling you now you people complain about the book of hebrews the book of hebrews is even nice if you're talking about someone talking to Christians as if they're not saved, you can go and check other books. You think the book of Hebrews is your worst problem and because of that, let's say, you're not talking to Christians, you're not seeing anything yet. How do you want to explain this one? I mean, Thessalonians are not Christians. Are they not Christians? He said God will punish them. How oh, you won't run now? Now, let me not go too much into the theology that maybe it means... Um, uh, judgment and all that and all that, but the point is clear, right? He said, "God will punish you." <laughs> you can try to interpret it anyhow you want, and say, so, "Well, say, but God will punish you." So if I tell you now in church, <laughs> <laughs> praise God, church, I went together. It's clear. It's clear. He it says, as we wanted before, for verse seven, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Do you remember when our fathers would equate holy living to being celibate? Do you understand that? You know, in those days, they would say, those that, they can be gossiping, you know, they can be doing bitterness, they can be doing all those back, back, backbiting, slandering. But as long as you are not having sex up and down, they say you are living a holy life. These are the kind of things they are looking at. <laughs> Look at, you say, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a what? Holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction, does not reject a human being but god the very god who gives you his holy spirit you see that anybody that rejects this exhortation for sexual purity they have not rejected a man but they have rejected god that is what always happens people don't want to people don't want to live sexually pure lives but if you reject sexual purity you are going to reject god You know what I'm saying to you? Save your kids. Teach them the truth about sex. Don't let them be oriented to it. Because this, this is another trap. The Bible, the Bible, Satan will also tell you that living in sexual immorality is okay. that is compatible with God because God will forgive you. That's another trap. will tell a Christian that, you know what, continue living in sexual immorality. It's, it's compatible in your heart. That's suggestion. Satan is whispering in your ear. Right, right? Like Ananias and Sapphira is whispering in your ear and it's telling you sexual immorality is compatible with the Christian life. But it is not. At first, it will look like that. You'll be doing rubbish, you'll say, God, forgive me. But let me tell you what's been happening. What's happening? Your conscience is being hardened. Your heart is being oriented way more and more from God. Your heart is being oriented more and more away from God. One day you will wake up and you will not recognize yourself. Do you understand that? That's why the solution to telling people and I'm expecting it's men, no. People with same-sex attraction will come to our church and they will be welcome. The solution is not to tell people Um, people that have same-sex attraction and telling them that because i'm not going to use all those other worldly words on them and tell them you are you are a homosexual you are not a homosexual you have same-sex attraction and god will deliver you you have something just like someone can have sexual loss. do you understand that don't call don't don't use someone's the issue to summarize their entire life that's one of the satanic things about this whole movement just because someone likes having sex with me, you now say he's a homosexual, he's, he's a LGBTQ, everything in his life. He wants to get a job. You say you give him the job based on the fact that <laughs> you can now swallow up a person, someone that Jesus died for. You now swallow up the person's entire identity based on who they like having sex with. So the answer to tell people that have same-sex attraction is not to tell them, uh, you know, you tell them what you tell someone that has normal sex attraction. It's the same thing you tell somebody that has normal sex attraction that is struggling with lust. What do you tell them? Hold your body pure. It does not define your existence, but that lust, just like you can lust for another man's wife, is not of God. Hold your body words pure. Do you understand that? Hold your body pure. And that's why that movement is at odds with God. That's why progressive Christianity started from their midst. It has, not that it started, but it had a particular fire that drives their midst, from their midst. Why? Because they have insisted that they want to live their life based on sexual imp- impurity. But Apostle Paul has said it. If you reject this, you are doing what? Rejecting God. So, like Sabinus, what you now do is now see if I want to be doing this, and Jesus said we should not do it, therefore, Jesus is not the only way to God. One plus one equals Kokoyam. Two plus two equals, let's go to Oshodi. He see. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This scripture is commonly misunderstood. What it's actually saying is that if you follow me, my life is like the way to God. I am like the truth, and I'm like, if you follow my lifestyle, you will see that my lifestyle is the way to God. And so everybody that follows my lifestyle, whether they are Buddhists, or Muslims, on this day, So that is possessed. <laughs> That's what I mean. I've rejected God. that's what's happening there. Verse nine. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourself have been taught by God to love each other, and in fact, you do all of God's family throughout Macedonia. You do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, and to make it your ambition, to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on what? Anybody. Listen, I'm not pro-poverty. Do you understand that? But I'm also not (laughs) pro-riches. I am pro-doing the will of God in your life. What is some million? They have some million. See, I'm not saying that Christians are meant to be poor. And I'm not saying Christians are meant to be rich either. Do you know why? Because, and this is what I'm, I'm, I'm still going to tweet, anybody else be angry should be angry. Before you come and start saying God wants all of us to be rich, define rich, define poor. You can't bring worldly definition of terms and use it to read your Bible and get your revelation. Do you understand that? You can't decide for yourself what being rich means and then look for the word rich in the Bible and now say that's what it's saying. Can't do, do that. What does it mean to be rich? What does it mean to be poor? How much exactly? Someone sent me one well, long episode. So I know for a See, I followed your streets, but I want to tell you I don't agree with you. I'm saying, you see, it is the will of God. It's one that gives us riches to be, that gives us power to make wealth. One message like this, long. See, just, so God wants us to be rich so that we can sponsor the gospel. The normal platitudes. One question, no problem. What is rich? That's where the message ended. You need to see the charts. Long. No problem, brother. Please define what it means to be rich. Nothing again. That's where the problem always comes. What does it mean to be rich? Does it mean to earn 500k in naira per month? Is that what it means? Okay. Yes, that's what it means. Does that mean that if I'm earning 500k naira and that is the will of God for me to be rich, but I convert it to dollars? And in that currency, I'm poor. How does that work? You say, oh, no, 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 no. That means that 500k is not really rich. It is poor. So that means that the will of God is for you to have 500k thousand dollars per month. Fine. So if it is the will of God for us to have 500k thousand dollars per month, does it mean that every Christian must have it and if they don't have it, they're not in the will of God? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that you now start seeing gymnastics. God does not want you to be poor. What does poor mean? Oh, that's how the word. I think what does rich me? says when you have enough money so that when you stop working. <laughs> Listen to me. What is the will of God for you? The will of God for you is that you work with your hands. Earn a living. Earn a living and live in dignity with your living. That definition will have different financial amounts for different people based on their different context. But all of you are in the will of God. So someone that is in Sudan, a Christian in Sudan, Right? That is being persecuted and is working as an organizer, and that's the only work that they allow him to do, and is using that bond to manage his family. That man is prospering. He's in the will of God for his life. Do you understand that? A Christian who is in a more comfortable country like America, he's working and there's nobody persecuting him, and he has freedom, and his country is rich, and then he now has one billion dollars. Him too is doing what? Prospering. The Christian that finds himself in tech and is able to raise $50 million say, in Series B funding and is working it and is doing it with dignity and is doing the will of God for his life is what? Prospering. And the one that God says go and teach in primary school is also doing the will of God. Do you understand that? That is the will of God. The will of God is not for anybody to be rich or for anybody to be poor. You see I don't want to go into some things that, because I'm particularly angry. You know, um, it's not for you to be rich or to be poor, it is for you to do the will of God for your life. Because these definitions of rich and poor is a meaningless human definition, it does not bear any ground in the scripture. He say, the will of God is for us to be head and not today. He says, sir, don't you see the Bible says that his will for us is to be for us to be to be head and not to be to, and not to be tail? These people you are talking about that you are saying that God said they should be the head and not the tail. Are you saying that God never did it in their life? Obviously, God did it in your life. Okay, let me tell you the history of these people. These people that I are talking about, if you look at them in the map of the Middle East, they were tiny, insignificant people. There, were never a, there was never a time when the Jews were the richest or the most powerful nation in the Middle East. There was never a time. Yes, they said where they were the head and not the tail. Why, how were they the head? They were a beacon They were the lifestyle that all the nations of the earth looked forward to. They were cultural leaders that all the nations of the earth were looking forward to. And all the nations of the earth admired them. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? That's what made them the head because they were leaders, spiritual leaders of the world. That's how they were the head. They were not the head because they were the richest country. They were never the richest country. Even Solomon they are talking about. When the Bible, whenever you see something in the Bible and says that someone was, something was in the whole earth, that statement is always relative to the writer's vision or horizon. Do you understand that? It's always relative to the writer's horizon. So a man in Jerusalem, that the only people he knows are the Canaanites, will say has, Solomon was the richest man in all of the earth. It is relative to the man's position. Come out of the Middle East and go to Babylon. Go to Assyria. It's because you heard that your friends in Egypt don't have money, and the Amorites and the Ammonites around you don't have money. You understand know what I'm saying to you? When he says, do I the head and not the tail, I will give him my power to make wealth and all that. It was never about the amount of the money. It was never about it. God has never defined prosperity by the sheer amount of money. So when Jesus came and says, the life of a man is not the abundance of the things that he owns. It's not whining you. He's consistent. He's the same yesterday, today and what? Forever. So there has never been a time when a man's prosperity, so to speak, as far as God is concerned and God is defining it, that it can ever be relative to how much money the person has. So yes, it is not an extreme when we say testimonies that have to do with money should not be shared in church. It's not that. It's not an extreme. There's a reason why. We're not saying it's not because God did not bless you. But we are worried about setting a value system that rates people and the blessing of God in their life based on the amount of money that they what have. It's very unlikely that my wife and I will ever become billionaires like Milon Moss. But did you miss it? I'm enjoying the will of God for my life. I don't need to have more. Some of you might end up being MD of Zenith Bank and all those big banks. It's fine. It's good. It's in your pocket. It's between you and God. But it does not mean that somehow God favors you more than me. Do you understand that? It does not mean that God has favored you more than me because he gave you more money than me. No. God has given you for you to do something in your life. So comparison is completely annulled. It's completely rendered useless. The media guy and the filmmaker guy that is doing his own work in Hollywood is not inferior to the one in Hollywood that is making millions of dollars per movies. So listen to me as a church. This is exhortation for your pastor. Like I said earlier, wherever your context is, wherever God has put you, whatever the work of your hands are, Work with it and make the maximum amount of money that you can make from it. Do you understand that? Then live within your means. Be content and live within your means. Those of you that are in Nigeria and you have chosen a particular career line, work hard in your career. Maximize that career. Do as much as possible, as much as the Lord will have you do in that career. And whatever amount you make, live based on it Perhaps Pastor Michael Konko always says something. He says there's no amount of money you cannot use to marry. The problem is your tastes. Yes. Pastor Kingsley Konko. Amen. That's some that's word. He said there's no amount of money you cannot marry with. Your problem is your tastes. And it's true. If my wife and I had, um, if my wife and I had high tastes, we will not have married when we got married. You guys have heard the story many times. Thank God there are people here that can be a witness. Moved into the house, the foam was on the floor. There was no settee in the parlor. There was a bench that they left in the compound that they used to paint the building. That was the bench that we moved into the parlor that we were sitting on. Am I lying? Am I exaggerating? I'm not whining you. Literally. The parlor was a big parlor like this parlor and there were only two things inside. Three things. TV, sound system, and bench. That's all. In the room, cupboard and foam on the floor. Guess what? The foam was not even our home. <laughs> I tell you where they got the foam from. I stole it from Pastor Dele's house. <laughs> that's the bad part. Pastor Dele came to set up TBC, but he came with the foam. He bought the foam then and all that. So when we left that mission house, there was no place for the foam to do. They said, ah, so, okay, well, let me just carry the foam then and be using it. Amen. And as I carried the phone, that's how the foam became my own. If, you have, if we had high pace, now say no. We do want to get married. To get married into a two or three bedroom apartment with a plasma TV, Samsung 55 inch and with cushion, with skinny. See, it's not me you are doing, it's yourself you are doing. Do you understand that? You just stay in drenches for long. You better marry. Praise God. You better marry. Hallelujah. Do you understand that? Don't don't cut it out, leave it. They must hear it, they must hear it. (laughs) Hallelujah. Church, seriously now, do you understand that? So this is what you do. God, like I always teach you guys, maybe I should do the series on purpose again to remind you guys of purpose. When last did I preach it? Has it been long? I preached it in Gajan now. No, it's not been so long. So remember, purpose is everything that God will have you do. And it is not only preaching the gospel. It's whatever God will have you do. And God will give you platforms where you can do the purpose of God for your life. So, whatever platform God puts you, whatever career path, whatever industry God gives you, work hard with it. Maximize it. Some of you may be in tech, right? And your career track will lead you to having millions of dollars. God bless you, and we are happy for you. It's even good. Come and be paying us tights, right? Like I said, what will you do when you get your first title of $1 I said, when I had, oh, hallelujah. You know, you can't do that one. Now, no mean say we will be medical doctors waiting for Nigeria. Nothing they happen for doctors that now say we we, we Chris. No, do you understand? Now, Doctor I be, I no Chris, I, know, I don't hear with it. I do not keep person. Irrespective of the source of your income, you are fine. If that is what God will have you do, do it. Do you understand? That's where it should be. Some of the best some of the best countries to live. Their ancestors laid down some of these values for them that they are enjoying, but now they are beginning to dance on the corpses of their ancestors. You go to other western countries and you see that a person can be a cleaner, a plumber, and will be living with dignified life. And they'll say, ah, that country is good. Or you can even be a teacher. As if being a teacher is a bad thing. You go to those countries and how can being a teacher be a bad thing? How can it be a position that is despised? How can it be? Let me not go into that one. So we look at those societies and you see people that so-called are doing, Is in Nigeria. You poor people that God has, the spirit of God has not worked in your country that you think like that. People that their ancestors received the gospel early and they were able to build their foundation, their civilizations, based on at least set a reasonable amount of tenets of the scriptures, right? There are some things that they, there are some value system they bequeathed to their children and their generations that came after them. say it can be in those countries, it can be a plumber and live a dignified life. So, can be a teacher and live a dignified life because that's the way it's meant to be. It's only in Nigeria that if you don't have a Jeep, there's something wrong with you. And the whole church is telling you, and all the pastors are telling you, that you should live your life and strive to buy Jeep as a proof that God has blessed you. Do you understand that? It's not right. It's not right, it's a disease of the heart. And it is even limiting how much the body of Christ can do in Nigeria. You can't have the same value systems of the materialistic world and think you will make changes there. The world needs to start looking at the body of Christ and see Christians being dignified in their different jobs, not hustling and bustling and doing all those kind of nonsense things and envy us and want to be like us. We need to change the culture of our country with our behaviors. Do you understand that? So what I'm saying is not something outrageous that nobody has ever seen before. There are some countries that have this value system right now, at least to a reasonable extent. So it is possible. We see people with jackpot and say, hey, I want to go to Canada, and then they go there, and they ask them, what are they doing? Speech therapist. If they're in Nigeria, they say, yeah, speech therapist. They say, here. I'm a teacher. You know? So I won't be nurses. I probably say, and they will say with pride, ah, he's a nurse, oh, ah, he's a nurse in Australia, oh, ah, she's a nurse in UK. Oh. Meanwhile, if they tell you that someone is a nurse in Nigeria, you'll be looking at the person like this. So who is possessed now? Do you understand that? Do you understand that? A society regards their nurses highly, but you are disregarding nurses in your, own, in your own country. So, what I'm saying is not something outrageous. It's a matter of value system. It's a matter of your values. It's a matter of your values. Hallelujah. Let's close. Verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind. At this one, I'm just going to talk... Superficially about it because it connects to chapter five, so let me just breeze through it, so that I do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For be will I should say something about it before I go on. Listen to me. You ought to believe this very strongly. You ought to believe this very strongly. There is a way that a Christian grieves when someone dies that is suggestive of their faith work. There's a way a person grieves that is suggestive of their faith work. Paul says you should not grieve like unbelievers. It's when you watch Nigerian films that someone dies and they shout, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah I'm. There's a level of Stoicism and... Now, I'm not saying that you'll not feel bad, though. Don't hear what I'm not saying. There's a level of stoicism and resilience that understanding the destiny of the believers when they die confers on you. You don't mourn like a non-believer. There's non-believers that will mourn and be shouting and be being as if the person has died and has gone and has been annihilated. You, that you know that the person is in a better place than you, when you are crying, you are crying and mourning because you miss the person, not because the person is gone. Do you understand that? Yes, you cry because you. So if the person has, is someone that added a lot of value to your life, and it can even take a long time that you'll be missing them. In fact, you are meant to miss them. So you miss them. You wish the person was here because of what the person did to you. You can't believe that the person is no more with us. But it's not that the person is gone, the person is not gone. The person is not gone. And so, that's why I want to say now. This table is standing firmly and I want to kick it and to sound one kind. That is why (laughs) let me not say it because I don't know how to not misrepresent it. Let me say it like this. Be careful of this obsession or this idolatry of raising Christians that are dead f- from the grave, raising them from the dead. You say someone has died, we want to go and raise the person. We in this side of Christianity, Nigerian Pentecostalism, we do that a lot. Every single person that dies wants to go and raise the person up. Now, this is where I, I want to show you a mystery. <laughs> I showed you a mystery shrouded in the praxis of the... <laughs> Listen to me. If resurrection, if it is true that the Bible is true, hmm? and we, are, we still have our volition when we pass, I'm very sure the reason why most people are not raised from the dead... Hmm? That's why believers is that you pray for them. Hmm? And they are seeing Jesus. And they are seeing you shouting. And they're seeing Jesus. And they are saying <laughs> I beg you. <laughs> Nobody will be seeing Jesus. And be seeing you people in Nigeria on that worry. They say us to come back. So come and do what? <laughs> Because I'm very sure that if Jesus does not get us force us to get saved on the earth then I'm very sure Jesus does not force people to go back come back to life. I'm very sure I'm very sure because the consolation that happens when you see Jesus is soup he says there will not be, there will be no more pain or sorrow and all your tears are washed away you not tell someone to come and go back to the you do' saying the Holy Spirit will comfort them. Father, I'm not going back. Just that I'm saying to you. So when Jesus called forth Lazarus and the and the um, widow of the and the son of the widow of Nain, is Jesus. Jesus cannot call you and you know answer. Do you understand what I'm saying? They say, Lazarus, just come. Lazarus, just come. Just come. Yes, sir. <laughs> and you will come back. Do you understand that? Of course. Of course, I'm not saying people don't get raised from the dead. And I'm very sure that you know in the heavenly, in the third heavens and all those shadowed mysteries, things can happen where the Lord. Will have someone come back and all that. But me, I know that that's the reason why many people, go and check people's near death experiences, people that came back that their bodies were not fully dead, but their spirits already go back. Go and check all their testimonies. Maybe we should look for the videos and compile and even share. Many of them, all of them, try the ones that have real ones, not the ones that are high on hallucinogens and all that, they will tell you that when they saw Jesus, when they saw the light, they did not want to come back. But their bodies were not fully dead. So when they shock them, they have to come. You will now come and say, oh God, why did people just leave me? The same thing. So when believers die, we don't wail. We will miss them. But we don't wail and lament like the world. When we say that it's in a better place, now it's not an empty cliche. For we believers oh, well, it's actually true. Do you understand that? Church, are we together? For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who are fallen and asleep with him. According to the Lord's word. Now, see, follow. And please let me touch this boy so I can follow me very well. I'm talking to him now. Verse 15. According to the Lord's word, we'll tell you that we who are still alive, who are left, will um, left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not produce those, precede those who are fallen asleep. So, it's not like I say when Jesus comes again, right? Um, those of us that are alive will first, you know go with him, and then those that did will not follow. You now says instead, verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of an archangel and with, the tr- and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds. Hallelujah. I just want to show you guys something. There's a very strong theme of God coming And redeeming our bodies. That has to do with the clouds. And the vision is very consistent. It was when I was studying that I actually saw it. After our conversation. right? That's actually very consistent. So there's something about the clouds thing. That is more than just allegorical. Let me show you. Let's start from Acts chapter 1 verse 9. This one everybody knows it. So after Jesus had spoken to them and all that, he says, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Do you see that? So when Jesus died and rose again, right, after 40 days of talking to them, when he ascended, he ascended bodily. And as he was going, clouds came and he was taken from their sight. Do you understand that? Obviously, it does not mean that um, heaven is physically up there, right? Elon Musk and who have been going regularly and they've not seen Jesus. So it does not mean, so we can pardon those before that thought so. Do you understand that? It's not because we're necessarily stupid. Right? Let's continue. Look at Acts chapter 8 verse 39. No, no, sorry. Wrong example. Look at Revelation chapter 1. This one is very important. So this Revelation, Apostle John speaking. Let's read from ah, verse 5. Oh. ah, ah. Oh, I don't want to read too long. Let me just start from verse 6. And he made us to be, this is like the prologue. It says, and he made us to be, a and, um, to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. So he's, look, he's coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him. And those who pierced him and all peoples on the earth will mourn because of him. And so shall it be. Amen. So when John saw a vision, or when Jesus would come back, what did he see? Jesus would come with the words clouds, physically. Look at chapter 11. Chapter 11 of Revelation, verse 12. Let's start from verse 11. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life came from God, entered them, and they stood on their feet, and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a, cl- a loud voice from heaven, saying to them, Come up here. And they went up in a then they went up to heaven in a what cloud while their enemies did what looked on revelation 11 verse 11 and 12 revelation 11 verse 11 and 12 did you see that again do you see that thing so there's this strong theme of when bodies are going back to heaven clouds receiving them it happened to jesus john said when jesus comes it will happen John also says again, where in chapter 11, that during the tribulation period and that, when some people are going to heaven, clouds will do what? Receive them. Apostle Paul is now saying it again in First Thessalonians chapter 4 here, that, you know, the clouds will do what? Also what? Receive. So, it doesn't seem like a mere literal, figurative expression. Do you understand that? It appears. It appears from Paul and John. And then the eyewitnesses of Jesus' ascension, that on that day, right, there will be some, there, a, there will be a physical dimension to what will happen, where we will be seen physically going up, and then we will disappear, physically, and then, you know, our, the bodies that we are going to have, obviously, will not be these normal bodies, and they will be able to be transfigured into a new world. Hallelujah. Not that it matters, because I guess... Um, the mode by which it happens has to be a mode that we can relate with, isn't it? Something that makes sense, right? Because think about it. What, what is the alternative that we just disappear? You would think that maybe a person left the room. Do you understand that? Maybe the person left the room or something. But there's something um, conspicuous. That's the word. There's something conspicuous. There's something obvious. There's something evident. Why didn't Jesus just disappear? When he was going back to the father because he will come and break bread and teach them what and disappear. And then they will remain there and be praying and be sending messages to one another. And then he will appear again all of a sudden and teach them again and appear to them and all that. But when he was going, finally, he didn't choose to just disappear. He chose to go in such a way that they will know that oh do you understand? It's like, he has gone, no, this one, he, he was went up and the cloud did what received it. So, I think it's, it's, it's for our benefit. It's a mode of redemption that is obvious and conspicuous that the person has left. Do you understand that? So, I don't think that, you know, that our going back will be um, I, I don't think it's just a figurative expression that will just disappear, but, you know, it's an expression that we are going to go and all that. I think it will happen like that for the sake of the message. Yeah, for the world to... Yeah, yeah. exactly, you know. If Christians just disappear, and like all of us now having meeting now, Jesus' come and the mic just drops, and all of us have come, because everybody... have you seen your... Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? Yes, if Jesus just not your Lord and Savior, raise up your hand. Okay, so if it doesn't concern then you, won't, you won't be left behind. So those of us that are here now, the mic will just drop and then those that are outside, then that means it's most likely to happen during the day. It's going of, ah, but at the same time. If it's happening in the day here, some people will be in the night somewhere. Somewhere. Anyway. We shall know that. <laughs> when you are when going, it has to be done in such a way that the world will see what happened. And then they will not say, ah, um, no, they just disappeared, though. You know, there was something that happened and there was a quantum fluctuation. And when there was a quantum fluctuation, the quantum fluctuation led some people's body cells to make them to disappear. Because when it comes to coming up with stories, there is no story that the world cannot come up with. There's no story they cannot come up with. So when it's very evident that all of us are going with him, I mean, do you understand? Praise God. So the next week, Thursday, is going to be very interesting it's going to be very interesting so please look forward to it hallelujah praise God sorry let's speak Wednesday it's going to be very interesting we shall look into chapter 5 hallelujah praise God I hope we're blessed today so let's bow our heads and let's pray please let's pray let's give God thanks thank you for listening to this message we hope you were blessed for more updates on our programs and audio messages follow us on Twitter Facebook and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you.